Welcome to the My Psychology Podcast. Thanks for joining us. My name is Andy Pomerantz, and I'm a psychology professor at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. I also happen to be the author of the My Psychology textbook from Macmillan Learning. In each episode of this podcast, instructors from various colleges and universities join me to talk about the most important and most interesting parts of the chapter to help you understand and appreciate them. As we do, we will share some stories about our own experiences with concepts from the chapter from inside or outside of the classroom. Okay, in this episode, we are focusing on chapter three, that is the the chapter on sensation and perception. And I'm happy to be joined by two other instructors who teach the introductory psychology course using this My Psychology textbook. First, we have Dr. Kelly Barnes. She is a professor of psychology at San Jacinto College in Houston. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Andy. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. And we also have Dr. Ava Selly. She is a principal lecturer at Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. Hi, Ava. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So here's a quick summary of Chapter 3, Sensation and Perception. The chapter starts by defining and distinguishing between sensation and perception and describes some basic ideas related to both, including absolute threshold and difference threshold, sensory adaptation, and bottom-up processing and top-down processing. The chapter then focuses on each of the senses, starting with vision. It covers the parts of the eye, depth perception, color vision, and cultural influences on vision. The hearing section covers parts of the ear and pitch, sound localization, and the influence of culture on hearing. The section on smell and taste explains how each of those senses work. And the final section on other senses covers somatosenses, what you feel through your skin like touch, temperature, and pain, kinesthetic sense, the position and movement of body parts, and vestibular sense, balance. So, uh, so Ava, I'll start with you. What is a, uh, a concept from, from Chapter 3 that, that you find especially important? Well, there, there's the big picture stuff. Before we start diving into the particular senses, the, the these ideas like, for example, about how attention is focused, I think is very important. These sort of meta topics, this idea of sort of selective attention dealing with, you know, sort of competing sensory information that's coming in. And I always think of something that this helps me to understand and hopefully it'll help students to understand, which is... If you've ever driven down the road and you're in an unfamiliar area and you're sort of trying to pay attention to, you know, you're not on autopilot driving, you're really trying to pay attention to street sign and and things, and you turn down the radio. Like, <laughs> you know, it's sort of, you know, it's playing music, right? It's, 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 you know, it could even be instrumental, but there's something about turning down the radio so you can focus on navigating and people find that really funny and then suddenly you read this and you're like oh okay well that makes sense now and it's what i love about this chapter building on chapter two where now we really see start to understand how our biology and the intricacies of all of these systems that are now organized into these sensory systems really help to explain phenomena that we we experience in everyday life yeah, that's a great a great example. I wish everyone would turn off the radio and, and, and not try to split their, their attention like they too often do. But I think students don't, you know, they you know, this idea of multitasking has become so big that that the effect of actually splitting attention is underestimated. Definitely. Kelly, any thoughts about that? 
I definitely agree. My students tell me the turning down the radio thing is a mom move because I, I use the exact same example in my class and I do it too. And I'll say, and this is, is such a bizarre sentence. I need to see, can you turn down the music or like, I like it, 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 those are not related senses, but they are because we've only got so much attentional bandwidth. Each one of us has just a limited bandwidth. And when you start dividing it up too much, it's, it's, it's it often just doesn't work. Kelly, are there, are there topics within chapter three that you wanted to bring up as, as especially important? Yeah. So I think there's a, a an aspect of this chapter that I think is really important, which is about this difference between sensation and perception and how there's that middle step of, of transduction. We've got all these sensory stimuli, physical stuff in our world, light waves, sound waves, well, light photons, uh, sound waves. We've got stuff touching and we have odor molecules floating around the world and there are all these physical things, but that's not what our brain is getting. What we do with that information is we turn it into a neuronal message. Um, we have these special cells that do this and what that means that I think is so important about this chapter is that what we're experiencing is as close as we can get to what's happening in the world, but there's a lot of potential for information to be lost or to be interpreted or to be changed by this process of making sense of those messages in the brain. And, and this idea of perception as being our interpretation of what's going on in the physical world is an idea that sounds kind of trippy and sci-fi and like the 20th anniversary of the matrix kind of stuff but it's really important to everything else that comes on down the line in the book and in understanding psychology because our perception is is our interpretation of what goes on then what do we remember and what do we decide about all that information each time we've got the potential to distort stuff a little bit and i think that's that's a really important concept from this chapter yeah, I'm sure I'm sure students have heard the phrase lost in translation. You're, you're talking about lost in transduction. We have, you know, this system in our nervous system to take information and turn it into a, a message the brain can understand. And that transduction, it's exactly it's a translation. That's perfect. Another topic that I wanted to bring up from uh, from chapter three, one that I think is especially important is the the idea of top down processing. Just as a reminder, top-down processing is, uh, the, the textbook defines it as a way of processing information in which expectations or previous experiences influence what a person perceives. So, you know, you're looking at something or listening to something and without realizing it, what you have seen or heard before is influencing your brain in such a way that you might, for lack of a better word, and the two of you can, can disagree with me if you want, but your brain sort of jumps to conclusions to a certain extent that if it, if it begins to perceive something that, that it is familiar with from past experience, it may kind of, kind of jump to that conclusion prematurely that it is about to see or hear or, or otherwise perceive that, that same stimulus again when in fact that may not be the case. In the book, there's, a, there's an explanation of how top-down processing can be kind of like the autocomplete function on your, on your phone or, or on a computer. Like when you're, I don't know, when you're typing something into maybe the, the Google search box, and when you've typed a few letters of the word, the rest of the word, you know, the full word, including the, the remaining letters or maybe an entire phrase will pop up. Because that's Google saying, oh, I, you know, from, from previous experience, I think I know what you're, what you're trying to, trying to say here or trying to, to enter here. When it happens in a, in a, in an autocomplete situation, like in a Google search though, it's giving you the option of choosing that 
that auto-completed term. It doesn't automatically assume that you want that auto-completed term and then sort of hit return for you and then and then complete the search. What, what's kind of dangerous about our, our minds is that sometimes our minds, our, our brains kind of do that. Like they kind of um, not only bring up the possibility that this might be what you're perceiving, but sort of conclude that this is what you're perceiving when that is not in fact what you're perceiving. So it's it's how a lot of misperceptions can uh, can take place. Our brain sort of fills in the gaps. And uh, right. you know, this is, again, in terms of research on eyewitness testimony, this is a problem because we may sense and then perceive a couple of things and then our brain fills in the gaps on the other things and suddenly what we later describe as a memory isn't an actual memory. Yeah, I think, Ava, I think that's a really interesting point. Even before stuff gets into memory, though, when we're looking at, at top-down processing, one of the things that that I've experienced is that moment where you think you don't know something and then later as you're as you're continuing to process it, it almost becomes clear because your brain's like, oh, you do know this. Let me fill that information in for you. And now it makes sense. Yeah. So, Kelly, any other topics from Chapter 3 that, that you wanted to, to, to bring up and, 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 uh, and emphasize as important? Yeah. One of the Chapter 3 topics that I really enjoy is this concept of adaptation. So the, the idea that when something is present and it's around us constantly, our brain starts to tune it out. And so we don't respond to it as strongly. And I think that's something that happens every day for us. And we, we take it for granted and we don't always know, hey, that's the word that's talking about that phenomenon that we experience. Because there's so many times when if you think about it, what you've done is adapt to something in the world around you. I wear jewelry. I take off my rings every night when I go to bed. And that first minute when you take off your jewelry, your hands feel so funny. You've gotten used to that ring being on your finger or that watch being on your wrist or whatever it is over the course of the day that when it's gone, your hands feel kind of weird. But then after 10 minutes, 30 minutes, it's it's normal again. Um, and then when you put your jewelry on in the morning, you notice it. And then you don't notice all day the feeling of your watch or the feeling of your ring or, or a necklace, whatever you're wearing, you just adapt to it. You get used to it. You have that experience of adaptation. And with cooking and, and smells, it's so salient. When you come into a house when somebody's cooking, it just smells amazing. Um, I was just at my parents' house. My mom was making, we're, we're East Coast Jersey people. And my mom was making sausage with peppers and onions and we're not Italian, but you know, you kind of learn to go along with it in New Jersey. Um, so we've got this great Italian meal going and I walk in, you smell the onions going, you smell the sausage, it smells amazing. But after a minute or two, you get used to that smell. You don't notice it. And if you step outside and come back in, you're like, oh, it's even closer to being ready. I'm so hungry. It, that smell is so intense again. It's been there constantly, but you get used to it so quickly. Yeah, I can tell a restaurant story too. There's a there's an Indian restaurant that we've gone to for many years, not, not far from our house, and there's a just a a great smell of Indian food that just just exudes from this place, and it's 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 in a neighborhood. So if you live you know anywhere near that within a block or two of that place, the, the smell of Indian food is just going to be in the air all the time. And when my when my kids were were younger, one of them said something like, and, and they love this Indian restaurant, that one of them said something like, it would be great to live right there. <laughs> Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will continue talking about chapter three, sensation and perception in the My Psychology textbook. 
The My Psychology Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad from Macmillan Learning. When I wrote My Psychology, I wanted students to maximize their connection to the science of psychology, and Launchpad does just that. It's the one place where you can find the full ebook of My Psychology, features like My Take videos, chapter apps, and show me more links, and Macmillan's full library of resources, including videos, flashcards, concept practice activities, and more. Best of all, Launchpad includes the Learning Curve Adaptive Quizzing System, designed based on cognitive research to improve your learning and help you retain information over time. In addition, the Learning Curve algorithm chooses questions based on your performance, delivering a quiz that is unique to you. If you aren't using Launchpad already, you can sign up for a free trial right now. That's right, you can get 21 days of free access right now by visiting launchpadworks.com and searching for my psychology that's launchpadworks.com sign up now for your 21 days of free access and start studying with the learning curve adaptive quizzing system Welcome back. We are here discussing Chapter 3, Sensation and Perception, from the My Psychology textbook. I'm Andy Pomerantz, and I'm the author of the textbook and a professor of psychology at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. And joining me today are two other instructors of introductory psychology who use the same textbook. They are Dr. Kelly Barnes. She's a professor of psychology at San Jacinto College in Houston. And Dr. Ava Selly, who is a principal lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University. Okay. Ava, any other topics from chapter three that you wanted to, to bring up? So, yeah, I wanted to talk about sort of the big stuff a bit because you've, you've, you know, you've got these sensory systems and just like in chapter two, when talking about these anatomical and physiological structures and processes, there's this sense of feeling sort of overwhelmed, like, oh, I'm going to have to memorize all this stuff. And rather than memorizing parts of the various sensory systems, what I tell students, focus on the process. So sit down and spend some time with, with, you know, with each system. So in the visual system, you know, light comes in through the cornea, it enters the pupil, which is regulated by the iris, you know, it passes through the lens to help focus what's coming in. You know, it lands on this, you know, screen is sort of like a projection almost onto the retina, which is covered by these rods and cones, these receptors. And then there's this fovea, this, this spot that has incredible detail in terms of our vision, particularly color. And then there's the blind spot where the optic nerve like sort of exits to go to the brain. And, and then all this information is turned into you know, what we perceive visually. So to, if you sit down and you look at the graphic on vision and trace what's happening and think of it as a process, then suddenly all the terminology and all the parts just become part of a narrative. And I think it's much easier to sort of understand both what's happening and how it works and also to remember all the parts you know and hearing you've got the pinna which is this sort of funnel and then you know sound waves come in it vibrates the tympanic membrane the eardrum you've got these sort of bones that vibrate and then there's this other membrane and you've got this amplification of sound between these two membranes and then this cochlear fluid is stimulated and the auditory nerve carries information to the brain again if you can sort of trace that in a few sentences and then start labeling things, then you really have a much clearer understanding of both the structure and the process. Yeah. It, it, it's a story. It's I think what you're describing, it's a short story about what happens to uh, through the process of vision or hearing or whatever the case may be. And I, I think that's a great way for students to learn it as a story of with a beginning, a middle, and an exactly. end of what happens to the sensation as it as it as it moves through. 
One other topic that I wanted to bring up from chapter three that, that I think is especially interesting and, and important is the difference threshold. The difference threshold is, uh, is defined as the smallest change in a stimulus that is necessary for a person to detect it at least half the time. It's, you know, as its name implies, this is, this is your ability to, to, to notice a difference in a stimulus, in a, in a smell or a taste or a, or a sight or a sound. I, the thing that I think is really cool about it is that, first of all, it's, it's, it's students enjoy this topic because they can often come up with good examples. You know, I have a really small difference threshold for this, or I have a really high difference threshold for that. But what, what makes it especially interesting to me is how experience shapes your difference threshold. That when you, when you have a whole lot of experience with a particular kind of stimulus, you just develop a much smaller difference threshold than you had before. The textbook talks about an example of tasting different kinds of colas, like Coke versus Pepsi, and cola from a from a can rather than a than a, a bottle, or from a fountain, or different variations of cola. No one is born with that. That that happens because people become you know essentially a cola connoisseur by drinking lots of different colas at lots of different times in their lives, and then starting to appreciate the differences. It's it's just so interesting how when you have that kind of um, that extensive experience with something, you're so much better able to make distinctions between them. And when you don't, you can't. Like they all taste the same or they all smell the same as the case may be. What, what's your experience with, with teaching that, that topic with your students? So with difference thresholds, I always go with the, the physical side of things. My mother-in-law has this remarkable, she's a wonderful woman. This isn't like a bad mother-in-law story, but she has this remarkable sensitivity to people's body weight. She knows if you have lost weight or gained weight within a few pounds, she has a remarkable ability to discriminate this. Um, and so if I have gained a few pounds, she's very polite. She doesn't say anything, <laughs> but I know she can tell the difference because if I've lost a few pounds, she'll be like, oh, you know, you, you look like you've lost a little bit of weight. And she's always right. She's very, very accurate. She's just very polite. So she'll never say the opposite direction, but I know, and I know she knows because she's not saying anything because she can discriminate <laughs> between really, really small changes in body weight that most people wouldn't wouldn't notice. And I don't know where this expertise has come from for her, but she's very aware of this and she can tell this. Whereas with other things, with other people, that, that wouldn't be something that would maybe maybe be something that they're aware of. You could think of uh, somebody getting a haircut, right? And there's the cliche that like the, the husband never notices the woman's haircut and the woman's friends will notice it or her girlfriends, her coworkers. Well, you got your haircut and she goes home and her husband doesn't recognize that she's gotten her haircut, right? That idea that certain people pay attention to details like hair. They notice those things. They can tell those differences. Other people, oh yeah, you have hair. It's a little bit shorter today. It's a little bit longer. It's still hair. Doesn't 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 capture their attention. They don't study it. They don't notice those those changes. And so I I really like that. The other thing with different thresholds that I think is such a neat idea comes from from Weber's law. The idea that the amount of the stimulus makes a difference. So you know, cutting two inches off of your hair when you have really really long hair isn't noticeable. But if you had a short pixie haircut and you buzzed all the two inches of hair off of your head and now you've got a buzz cut, well, that's quite a noticeable change. That overall amount impacts our ability to tell that difference. The example that I use in this in the situation that we were just discussing was languages and accents. So, you know, my boyfriend is incredibly well-traveled and he's, you know, he grew up in Africa. And when we travel together, 
I, you know, I just, I just hear different, you know, like I just hear different accents, but he can identify all of them. I don't know if it adds anything. I mean, it's the example that I use, you know, and people who are less traveled talk about like, oh, it's just a foreign accent versus you can tell whether somebody is, uh, you know, speaking English and, you know, they're Spanish versus Italian, or then, you, you know, there are different types of Spanish. And I really liked Kelly's examples. Those are, those are, you know, those are terrific. And then as far as the, the, the proportion, Weber's law, I mean, the, you know, sound, you know, how much do you turn up the music? That's another example. Okay. Kelly, how about you? Any other topics from chapter three that you wanted to, to bring up? The other thing that I wanted to get to that I, I really like that this chapter gets into is the fact that your hair cells can be damaged by loud noises. <laughs> I have a my because I, I think this is it, this is just a lesson that you can't be told enough when you're young because you're going to pay the piper for it when you are older and my father has has very severe hearing loss after a lifetime doing construction work and prior to that service in the navy as the guy on the aircraft carrier who helps the planes land um so when you combine heavy machinery and jet engines over the course of adulthood that makes hearing a conversation in your 70s quite a challenge and i don't think it, he would have done anything differently but, but but maybe if he had known more about hey you, these cells they don't turn over they don't grow back if you damage them from loud noises that's that's going to make it really difficult to hear down the line so as as you were saying, I really like this idea, the idea you were saying about teaching these different sensory systems as a process. Um, and when you when you look at the functions of these different parts and think about that process, I think that's really interesting. As you were going through the, the auditory system, you got to the, the cochlea and the structures in the inner ear and those little cells, the hair cells that transduce sound, that take a sound wave and turn it into a message our brain can understand, they're so delicate. And I really like how the book goes through and has that image of how different sound levels correspond to decibels and then how exposure to those sounds can can impact your hearing either if you're chronically exposed to them or if you're exposed to them and they're very loud for a very short period of time your ears are really delicate be really careful with them don't you know blast the music in your headphones if you're around stuff like a hairdryer even chronically that's a loud noise actually and that's that's potentially going to impact your hearing yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry to hear what's been happening with your with your dad, but it's a, a powerful story and a good warning for students for sure. My dad also had hearing loss. His um, there was a gun. He was in World War II, and his uh, there was a gun that fired right past his ear, and he had some some hearing loss. But it's not actually what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is this thing where, like, you know, everybody presumed that he couldn't hear stuff, but. When stuff was relevant to him, he heard it. Ah, cocktail party <laughs> effect. So yeah. So uh, earlier, Kelly uh, was uh, talking about her dad and his hearing loss, and it was interesting because my father also experienced some hearing loss. Yet my mother used to talk about him tuning out and tuning in, and I talked to my students about this in terms of the cocktail party effect. Uh, my dad would be sitting in the same room with us and we'd ha be having conversations and he would miss 99% of what was going on. But as soon as something that was important to him was mentioned, he kind of tuned right in. And that's an, that's an element of that cocktail party effect of how our attention shifts 
when something relevant to us is mentioned, the most relevant thing to us generally is our name. So the cocktail party effect gets its name from sort of being in a crowded room where there are many, many conversations going on. But if you hear your name mentioned across the room, you're going to sort of focus in on that. Suddenly everything else sort of blurs out and, and that's where your focus is. Yeah, and it's so interesting because we would say that we're not listening to all of those many conversations that are going on. We're not hearing what what people in, in various conversations throughout that party are saying. But on some level, we must be hearing it and, and processing it at least a little bit because otherwise we wouldn't be able to pick up our name being said by somebody halfway across the room. And there's a great tech analogy now, which is if you have an Alexa or a Google Home device at home, you know, that's sitting there listening to you. Yeah. So um, big thanks to to both of our guests for, for joining us today. Again, we've been talking with Dr. Ava Selly, who is a principal lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University, and with Dr. Kelly Barnes, who is a professor of psychology at San Jacinto College in Houston, Texas. And thanks to all of you for listening. We hope this podcast helps you learn and appreciate the material in this chapter. Of course, you should check with your own instructor to see what's most important in your own class. And for more resources for studying this chapter, check out Launchpad at launchpadworks.com. Talk to you again soon.